If you would stand with me this morning. First and foremost this morning, I want we're going to pray for a few moments. For those of you who may not have been here at the time, we had to send Bishop Goldsberry out of here in an ambulance just a little while ago. We don't know what happened other than he just slumped over in his seat out there and, and went unconscious. So we don't know for sure what has happened, but I'll find out after a while. So we want to pray for him. And uh, also I ask you to continue to pray for my brother-in-law. My wife is with the, them and the family this afternoon, or this morning actually. There has been remarkable improvement. His lung has come back uh, like they had anticipated and hoped for. The issue now is that they have to take him off of incubation, and that is quite a process. He has a lot of tubes in his body, and that's a very painful process in taking him off of incubation. They've got to bring him to a consciousness where he can respond to them, where he can do some exercises and things before they'll just pull that tube out of his lung. And what happens, they tried to do that this morning, and my wife called me a little earlier and said that he just he gets real panicky uh, in that process, which makes sense. So they had to just kind of back off. He is breathing about 75, 80% on his own uh, with just a little bit of help, and they're confident that he can breathe on his own now, but they have to get go through that process. So what I'd like for you to do is pray for him that he'll remain calm and that they can bring him out of this sedation and he'll stay calm and assured. Uh, I had he, he asked for me to go over two or three times yesterday in those moments of panic because, you know, we prayed together. And anyway, that's another story, but uh, for that assurance and calmness. So pray. I want you to pray to that end. Uh, he, God is doing the work in him, and we're thankful for. And uh, let's just pray that they can get this process done and he can help them and cooperate with them to make it a much easier and smoother process. So let's pray to that end. Amen? So if you would. Now listen, I want you to know this. When these kind of things start happening, we've got the hornet's nest stirred up as they would say. Amen. There's some good things that God is doing among his people. And uh, these kind of things happen when you really start digging in and, and God starts to do a great work. That's what, you know, the adversary like to do is discourage us and get us all despondent and downhearted and all troubled and all bent out of shape. And we need to do just the opposite and recognize that God is in control. It's his sovereign will. I keep telling my sister-in-law and, 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 and them, you've you, you got to understand Yield to God's sovereignty. Now, we don't understand why. We don't know all the reasons why. We may never know. But the reality of it is God is in control. When it's all said and done, I told my sister-in-law, when it's all said and done, this man has a testimony. He can tell folks how God brought him from the doorways of death and raised him up. Amen? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for what you have done this far. While our hearts are distressed and we're concerned this morning over the welfare of Bishop Goldsberry and what may be taking place with him physically, we know that it is in your control. You are the sovereign God and creator of us all. 
And Lord, to You we commit everything. And to You we say, above all, as we pray this morning and ask You for His recovery, that Your will be done. Lord, we ask You that You would move and work according to Your divine purpose and Your will in all of these situations. I know You're a healer. I know that there's nothing too hard for You. I know You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I know today that You are the Creator, and simply by Your spoken Word, You can lift up and You can strengthen. Lord, for today, we leave it in Your hands and ask You to move and work as it would be according to Your will. Lord, we ask You today on behalf of Carol that You will give him a peace, give him a calm assurance as these doctors and nurses have tried to wean him off of this ventilator. I pray that You will help him to remain calm, that You will sedate the pain in Your own special way, that he'll be able to cooperate with them and help them. Lord, that he'll be restored completely and wholly. And for Your glory and for Your praise, I know, Lord, as He's already told me, that You are in control and He knows that this is all in Your hand. We ask it to be done according to Your will. Help me this morning as I attempt to teach this class. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. And everyone said in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen and Amen. And you may be seated. I am literally flying blind this morning. So I'm going to need your help and your patience. Book of Jonah. Our lesson this morning is found in the third chapter, verses 10 through... Verses 10 and in, uh, verse 3 and 10, and 4 and four through 5, through those verses. In fact, one verse there in the third chapter, and then we go verses, chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. This morning we're going to be talking about our compassionate God, and He truly is a compassionate God. Amen? He truly is a compassionate God. And... We must understand in viewing and, and dealing with a lost world. I've often made this statement. Let me preface what I'm about to say with this statement. There's always hope until an individual takes their last breath. Don't ever give up on God's redemption and His saving grace until an individual takes their last breath. Amen? We understand that we must see that no one is beyond God's redemption. He can take the hardest of hearts and transform them. He can change them. We may not be able to see the possibility in that, but He can. This is one of the problems that Jonah was struggling with. Here was a city that was as evil and corrupt as any city could be evil and corrupt. But somehow God seen beyond their corruptness and their hard-heartedness and all that they were based on man's visual inspection. And he saw people that would repent. Given the right message, given the right circumstances, given the right conditions, he seen a people that if the preacher would go in there and preach the message, if you don't change, you're in trouble. If you don't change, there's going to be utter, sheer destruction. Now, those, to the human mind, those are hard words to, to wrap our mind around. 
we would probably be a little bit offended. You, you might be a little bit offended if I came to you in a certain situation and say, if you don't change your ways, you'd go, well, who do you think you are? You know, but this is basically the approach that Jonah, God told Jonah to take. You go tell him, Jonah, that I said, if you do not repent and turn from your evil ways, I am going to destroy you. Now, I don't know how much these folks, these residents in the society of the city of Nineveh knew about God. They no doubt heard a lot of things re relating to Israel and how God dealt with Israel. They no doubt had a, a, an academic understanding of, of, of who God was and what he would do, the story, you know, the, the history and the heritage w was ongoing. So they did have some kind of a knowledge about who this God of Israel was. Amen. I notice something that often in Scripture, God's judgment of Israel and his subsequent deliverance or redemption of the nation is described in the figurative language of, of a sale, if you will, the language of the marketplace. Here, here's what I mean by that. Each time the Israelites forgot God, here's what he done. He sold them into the land of their enemies. What for? Just to be honry? Just, just to... Just to, you know, so I'll teach you a thing or two. You mess with me. No, but every time he done that, it brought them to a place of repentance. One time when they were in, when they were in, the, in Babylon and, and, and they, uh, the, the Babylonians had them camped around the various different rivers of Babylon, and the Babylonians wanted them to sing some of those, some of those refreshing, peace-giving songs of Zion. And they came to them and they said, sing us. One of the songs of Zion. And it was kind of also, on the other side of that spectrum, it was kind of a way to taunt them. Because they held very high in regard the songs of Zion and the worship of God and, and the fact that, you know, they believed that worship was to be in Jerusalem and, and to be among the temple. And now the temple has been destroyed and the nation is in ruins. And, 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 the, and the psalmist said, uh, quoted this way, by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. As they're looking back and remembering the, all of the great things of God and the city of Zion and, and, God's, and, and Zion represents God's presence and his kingdom. And they, they remembered all of this and they said, those who carried us away captive require of us a song. And their response to the request of the Babylonians for them to sing a song was said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, eventually that brought the nation to repentance, being in Babylonian captivity. But our God is a compassionate God, and he does that out of compassion. Because the ultimate judgment of God is eternal destruction. Amen? So in order to keep them from ending up in eternal destruction, he brought them back. He sold them into the hands of their enemies. And each time they cried out for help, what did he do? He delivered them. Remember, he told Solomon in the dedication of the temple, he said, it doesn't matter what happens to you people. It doesn't matter how far away you stray. And I, I'm putting this in my own words. Now, it doesn't matter how far away you turn your back on me. If my people who are called by my name, so he said, if I send in the locusts and they destroy it all, if I send in the enemies of the earth and they destroy it all, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. 
That's how compassionate he is. He doesn't go with the attitude, nah, you didn't listen to me before, I'm not going to mess with you now. He didn't look at the city of Nineveh and say, nah, you're just too corrupt. You know, you've gone over the deep end. You, you've, you've done things that just beyond, just beyond redemption. He is a God of redemption. Amen. He brought them back from their captors. You see, this redemptive grace and compassion that God extended to Israel was what Jonah wished to deny of Nineveh. Now, from a human perspective, Jonah looked at the city of Nineveh with contempt. And perhaps from a human perspective, rightfully so. We should never embrace evil. But at the same time, we should understand that God will forgive evil. We should not condone wickedness or ungodliness or that sort of thing, but we understand that while we don't have to embrace it, we must understand that God will forgive. He is a God of redemption. Amen. We must keep that in mind because regardless of their situation and regardless of what happened with Nineveh, God wanted to redeem them. So, Bondage and redemption is the language of the gospel as well. Folks oftentimes are held in bondage to sin. There comes a time with many that sin and that bondage gets to be so much that they can no longer tolerate it. But when God brings about redemption and somebody comes along and tells them there is a better way, you do not have to live the way you're living. But if you continue to live the way you're living... There sure will be a day of reckoning. I know our world society does not like to hear that, but it's truth nonetheless. There comes a day of reckoning. There comes a day when we must face the consequences of our actions. It may be after death. It may be before death. It may be in our midlife. It may be. In, it just depends on God's judgment and how He. Uh, uh, but but God, understand this: God never judges an individual without first several times given them an opportunity to repent. That's because of his righteousness. He would not judge Nineveh without first sending a preacher in there and tell them, here's what you need to do. Now, if they had not heeded the words of the preacher and repented and turned from their wicked ways, then he would have dealt with them. And he would have done exactly what he told them he'd do. But Jonah had this, you know, he had this, ah, oh, they are not deserving of God's grace. These folks are awful. And he, you know the story, I, and, and Brother David talked about it in previous lessons, how he wrestled with God. But she, with, we, we must understand that with Christ's own blood, he paid the price to buy back or to redeem the lost who demonstrate true repentance. Amen. Whether it's Jew or Gentile, regardless of, of our origin, regardless of our race, regardless of who we are, where we are from, and how much, it's His blood that redeems us from judgment. Amen? Our compassionate God. Well, as you know, Jonah had issues with it. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and then we'll read uh, through chapter 4, verse 2. <clears throat> Jonah 
The Bible says that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? See, this is one reason why he ended up in the belly of the whale, or the great fish. But so when God spoke to him and said, look, I want you to go down to Nineveh, take your Bible, go down to Nineveh, preach repentance. Now you tell Nineveh that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. It's going to be ugly. I'm going to rain fire and brimstone from heaven. It, it, you, just, you just can't imagine, Jonah, what kind of havoc I'll reap on, them, reap, reap on them if they do not repent. But Jonah said, no, wait, no, 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 no. You're not going to trick me into that. Because I know what's going to happen. If I go down there and preach and they repent, you're going to change your mind. You're going to show compassion on them and you're not going to do what I, what I, what I think they deserve. Oh, now, he didn't come right out and say it that way, but that's what was going on up here. <laughs> yeah, that's what we think he meant. Now, if I go down there and do that, you, you, know, you know, he said, that's why the bird says, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home before I ever started this journey? Is this not what I told you you were going to do? Because Jonah did understand something about the compassion of God. He did understand something about God's grace and His mercy. You see, from the very beginning of time, there has been that element of grace when it comes to God dealing with humanity. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even Adam and Eve found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He did not destroy them immediately. They lived for hundreds of years after the transgression and the fall. Amen? And all through Old Testament history, you'll find where God's grace changed the course of history. He goes on to say, this is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. It's why I ran, God, because I knew. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now God saw that the Ninevites, he being the all-knowing, all-seeing and perceiving God, knew that if he sent someone in there to preach to Nineveh, they would repent. Time was right. Their hearts were right. That they would repent. And they would turn from their evil ways. And because they repented, God saw that it wasn't necessary any longer to execute the judgment that he said would happen to them if they didn't repent. Thanks be to God that he does not execute the judgment that we have rightfully come after we repent. We'd be in trouble. Big trouble. But because of the... Let me, let me just bring this down and I'll relate this to you and I. Because of the efficacious blood of Jesus Christ... 
and His redemption provided for us at Calvary. Understand that our sins are hidden under His blood. When He looks at our lives, He does not look at our lives in a retrospect of looking at this long catalog list of things that we have done down through the years. Oh, thank God for that. He'd have me on a stick toasting me. But he, he does not look at our lives at this long list. Number one, you did this. Number two, number three, number four. Boy, I'd get in a lot of pages. But because of the righteous redemption of Jesus Christ and the covering of His blood and Him paying for, ju for the judgment for all humanity... God does not see those issues because they are hidden under the blood. When he looks at that record book that the Bible talks about, that it's record kept in heaven, and when he pulls your name up, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, all that was on those pages in the record book of your life, as I use this analogy, are covered in his blood, and he cannot see what's behind there. Amen. So Jonah, he just gets mad. I mean, he just becomes angry. The idea in his mind that these folks would not be accountable in God's judgment just messed with his head. And Jonah did accurately describe God's patience and his kind character. Amen? Amen. So Jonah, finds himself in a predicament. You see, when God saw the signs of the people's repentance, it was, it was evident. Now, I realize that perhaps from time to time down through your Christian history, through your heritage, you've seen folks supposedly repented, and perhaps you've questioned sometime later whether they actually did. Well, first of all, that's not for us to question. We're not, we're not to judge. We're not to... I told somebody here a while back, if somebody comes and tells me, in fact, as my father and I were having a discussion, a biblical discussion when I went to see him a few weeks ago, and I said, if somebody comes and tells me and I ask them, are you saved? Have you been born again? Have you been accepted Jesus Christ and been baptized? I said, if they tell me yes, I have no other option but to accept what they tell me. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one who decides that. If they're lying... If they're lying, that's not my it's not my issue. And Jonah and God seen that they were fasting. I mean the king, he immediately when they repented, he and he had every man, woman, boy, girl, 
infant, every animal, everybody in the city of Nineveh went on a fast. That sackcloth and ashes, the wearing of sackcloth and ashes is a sign of true repentance. It's a sign of, of, of recognition that, that you're surrendering to God and, 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 his, and his offer for repentance. And then we see that they turned from their evil ways. Now, that's what repentance is. It's not necessarily coming down here to the altar and crying a bunch of tears and pleading for God to forgive you for all the nasty things we've done. And that's okay. But if we get right back up and go out and do the same old nasty things we just asked Him to forgive us for, we didn't repent. Because repentance means to turn around and go the other direction. So when, Nineveh, when he went and preached to Nineveh, what they do? They stopped doing the things that they were doing that incurred God's anger, and they turned around and started walking the other direction. God saw this as evident. Man, they listened to the preacher. Not only are they have not only did they call a citywide fast, not only did the king and his cabinet and all of his and on all of his uh, 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 administration call a, a call fast, but the entire nation has been called. The city has been called to a fast in sackcloth and ashes, and they turned around and said, "Not nah, we've been doing this." No more. We're going to do this. We've been going down this road. No, no more. We're going to do it God's way. So God showed compassion for them, and He did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. Amen. So Jonah responded in somewhat of an unusual way. Or at least perhaps from my perspective. I mean, I've been all my life preaching you know, repentance and preaching folks be saved, be born again, uh, to keep them from, from uh, becoming acquainted with the gates of hell, if you will. I'll tell you this little story. In fact, my brother and my sister and brother, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law that are here now, and my brother-in-law is in the hospital, the four of us went on a cruise some years ago, and we went down to the Grand Cayman Islands and our cruise. And there in one of the Grand Cayman Islands, they have this place called hell. And what it is is, is all, of these, all of these formations come up, out of the, come up out of the ocean or the bay. And if the sun hits them just right, it, looks like, it just looks like flames leaping up out of the... And that's how they named it that. My sister-in-law, she was just absolutely adamant that I go see this place. I mean, I really didn't have an interest in going seeing what it was, but she finally talked me into it. I said, I said, dear, don't you understand? I have spent my lifetime trying to keep folks from hell, and you want me to go and let, take a look at it. <laughs> but it was unique. It was kind of a, it kind of gave you a visual of, of something that perhaps you've never seen before. And it, it is kind of unique. And, and really, you know, it, it kind of brings some things to, to, to the open mind. But, but she, just, uh, she just couldn't understand why. You know, you're a preacher. Why wouldn't you want to go see us? You don't understand. I've spent my life trying to keep folks from hell, and I don't need to go down there and take a look at it. But, 
So Jonah here, he, he responds in a, in a somewhat unusual way from my perspective because I've spent my life, you know, trying to get folks to come to redemption. And if there's one thing I learned early on in my life and in my ministry was that no one, no one is so nasty and ugly and mean that God cannot save them. I've never met a person that God cannot save if at some point they surrender to His will. Amen. So Jonah was greatly displeased and he just becomes hot with anger because God was gracious and compassionate toward the entire population of Nineveh. And, God, and, and, and Jonah also became angry because God relented. I don't know whether Jonah had this mindset that he kind of looked bad. He went in and preached one thing and now something else is happening. Uh, I, 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 you know, maybe one day we can ask him, Jonah, what was going on? I mean, what were you thinking? But he became angry. And he, he simply, he was just upset because that God did not send a destruction and calamity upon Nineveh that he thought that people deserved. He made up his mind. He kind of analyzed the situation and looked things over. Yeah, these folks are, oh boy, they deserve it. Pour it on them, God. Get them. Give them what they really deserve and so forth. Amen. <laughs> but God's kindness, his compassion, reaches far beyond our human conception and what we can comprehend because he does not look at people through our eyes. He looks at people through the lens of the Holy Spirit and things look completely different. I have prayed in the past in dealing with individuals. Lord, help me to look at them Help me to understand them and see them through the lens of your Holy Spirit. And you'll be surprised the difference that it makes in what I observe after that than what I observed prior. Because the Holy Spirit sees things in people that we cannot see. Dottie Rambo wrote a song years ago that said, He looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought my liberty, that bought my liberty. It goes on to say, I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary. Because he did. He looked beyond what we are. He looked beyond what the Ninevites were and saw what they could be if they experienced the grace of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's take a look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, now here's Jonah. Picture this now. As I look at this, Jonah now, he's mad. He's 
going to go off somewhere now on a little hill outside the city of Nineveh, and he's going to sit out there and hope, and just hope, he sees the fire and brimstone fall from heaven and literally destroy these folks. I mean, that's what he's looking for. Now, in his, in his moment of frustration, in his moment of anger, like a lot of us, he says something a little foolish. He says this, he said, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's a pretty bold statement. Uh, I don't know that I would have the courage to pray that way. I'm afraid God take me at my word. All right, Buster, if that's what you want. But then again, God looked through what Jonah was saying and saw the anger. That's the beauty of his saving grace. In our moments of anger and in times we say things that afterwards we look back and say, Woo, what was I thinking? He looks beyond all of that and he sees what's going on behind the scenes. It's a good thing he does. It's a good thing he looked through Jonah's anger. And saw whatever motives Jonah had for being angry, he seen beyond those and did not take Jonah's life. Amen. And the Lord replied so graciously. says, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? What are you angry about, Jonah? This is my deal. I'm God. I have the sovereign right. Now, Jonah wasn't looking at that perspective of it at that time. He was in the moment. He had been through, please understand, when we look at this, he had been through a very traumatic experience from the very time he first refused to go. And he was going to end up jumping this boat and go to Tarshish. And uh, headed out that way and ended up through that process, as you know, ended up in the belly of this great fish, which I think Brother David pointed out last week was probably not a pleasant experience. As you said, there wasn't a whole lot you could do in the three days and three nights in the belly of that fish other than slosh around and all that. Well, you, you know what, you, you can't imagine what that was like in there. All that bile and yuck, yuck. Anyway, y'all be wanting to go to lunch after a while, I better shut up. <laughs> And there he was, and there wasn't a whole lot to do but pray. He knew he was in trouble. Perhaps he thought this is the end of the road. And then God told the great big old fish to go throw him up on the beach. Like you see those trainers over in SeaWorld stand on the nose of that killer whale. And it throws him way up in the air, you know, with his nose. Well, I don't think they do that anymore now that they've had a couple incidents. But that's the way that whale, that's the way that whale done Jonah. Got up close to the land and just went, <laughs> spun him out there like a top. Splat! On the sand he went. And God said, now get up and get down to Nineveh. Don't make me have to do this again. So now he, he's gone through this traumatic experience. I, I, I'll tell you what. Traumatic indeed it was. 
So he goes down there. Now he's, now he's angry. He said, and God said, you, you, have you a right to get angry with me, Jonah? Verse number 5 tells us, Jonah went out and sat down on a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. There he sat under the shade, up on a hill, looking down over the city of Nineveh, watching his watch. Mm. Just any minute, just any minute, the fire is going to fall. Just any minute. Tap that watch. Mm. Got to quit buying these Timexes. I got to get something else. This thing. <laughs> and I just as mad as he could be. In his mind, at least this is my estimation, in his mind, Jonah, I think, figured that this, as soon as he was done preaching, whew, the fire would start to fall. He would just barely escape out of the city for it got him. It's kind of what was going on in his head. Amen. Amen. And see, here's the thing. From, from the human perspective, and I, can't, I emphasize from the human perspective because Jonah did finally, I think, get a grip on what was going on here after, after a while. Well, we know he did. But from a human perspective, Jonah would rather die than watch God be patient and kind to the Ninevites. Now, history does not tell us. He may have had a run-in with the Ninevites early on. We don't know. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that. We don't know what kind of history he may have had with Nineveh, whether they, uh, you know, it, it could be anything. But he really had a problem with the Ninevites. It could be because they were not of the same heritage, the same nationality that he was. It could have been he had a, had a racial issue. I, I don't know. Uh, so they didn't call it that back in that day. But he just did have a problem with the Ninevites. Have you ever noticed that that's how God works? He sends us a time to people that we have problems with? Folks that just kind of chaff us and rub us the wrong way. It's the truth. God has, God has allowed my wife and I to be a witness and a testimony to a family that early on in our years of walking with Christ, they used to make fun of us used to make light of us because we were so committed to God and Christ and the church. used to call us fanatic. Church is the only thing you love. You deserted your family. I mean, we heard it all. Are the same people now that God has allowed us the opportunity to show them the grace, the favor, and the righteousness of God. The people now they call on when things get rough. Please pray. Have the church to pray. We're in trouble. Who eventually through. My brother-in-law told me the other day that. Watching my wife and I keep our boys in church. And, and living the life we have throughout the years. Some 20 years ago is what made him really consider living for Christ. I had no idea. 
I just thought they didn't like me. I don't know what's not to like about me, but that's why she's not here this morning. I got her at the hospital taking care of things. <laughs> but that's the way God works in us, and oftentimes He sends us to folks that just absolutely will set us on edge. And I say to God, do you understand, God, that these are some of the very folks that made my life a nightmare 40 years ago? Yeah. Go be kind and love them. <laughs> so Jonah found himself in this situation where, ooh. So God questioned him, is it right for you to get angry, Jonah, because I've showed compassion and mercy to these people? As we understand, looking back in retrospect, no, it wasn't. It was none of Jonah's business. It's none of my business who God decides to save and call and redeem. Amen. Now, God, Jonah didn't answer God's question. You know, he kind of evaded that. So he sat down outside the city to watch. You could see here, I'll see what God's going to do to these reprobates. I'm telling you, if anybody deserves mumbling himself, if anybody deserves to be destroyed, these Ninevite days, oh God, get them. Be it unto them according to, you know, he's praying all. So he built himself a little shelter and he sat down in the shade to see what's going to happen there. Now, for the time being, let me just give you a little hist historical data here. For the time being, God spared Nineveh because of the people's faith and their sincere desire to turn from their sinful ways. However, more than a century later, God used the Babylonians to destroy Nineveh when the Assyrian Empire again plundered and pillage its way through the Middle East in the 700 to 600 B.C. era. And just as God prophesied through the prophet Nahum, the Lord used the flood to bring about the end of the city of Nineveh. So although they repented this time, and God spared them, later they got in trouble again. They got in trouble again. Amen? So it's important when we sometimes question God's dealing with people and we wonder, why have you chosen me to go there? Or speak to that one? Or be kind to that one? Or have an opportunity to show compassion? And mercy. It's because it's God's sovereign right to call who He wants to call, to offer repentance and salvation to whomever He wants to offer repentance and salvation, because He is a compassionate God. 
That's why you and I are here today and doing what we're doing today because He is a compassionate God. Not because we deserve it, but because of His amazing grace and His efficacious blood. He has given us the opportunity to experience His wondrous and glorious grace. So, I close with this. When God moves on you to speak kindly and tenderly and graciously and to deal with someone who perhaps at one point in your life or even now just rubbed you the wrong way, just brings out an emotion in you that it's hard to contain, remember, He's calling you to be the Jonah in that situation and perhaps offer them and extend to them the opportunity to repent. Because many times their reaction to you is as a result of their knowing and their realizing that you have something they wish they could have. That you possess something, a peace in your life and a calm and assurance in your life that they long for, that they're searching for. And God has given you the opportunity to express that grace to them through your presence, through your understanding, through your witness, through your kindness. It's not all about preaching to them they're lost and need to be saved. Oftentimes it's just about being there, offering them prayer and comfort and hope in time of trouble. It's when God often, you see, it's those times of trouble when an individual's heart becomes tender and sensitive to the tender touchings of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't grab folks and throw them down on the ground and put them in a, and put them in a headlock and a full nelson and say, now you're going to repent or else. The Holy Spirit tenderly taps them and says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me where there's peace. Amen? So remember, He is a compassionate God. Truly a compassionate God. God bless you.